the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, and William Shakespeare's play by the same name uh, suspected that his uncle Claudius had murdered his father and taken his mother to wife, but he had no way to prove it. And so uh, he was um, suffering and frustrated as to how to uh, discern the truth. Players come to the castle and they're going to put on a performance and Hamlet realizes the power of drama to uh, affect a person's conscience. And he talks with the players about a play that is very similar uh, in uh, theme and story to what he suspects his uncle of doing. And so he makes some adjustments with the players and asks them to put on this play and then uh, watches his uncle's reaction to see, uh, saying, the play is the thing wherein I will catch the conscience of the king. This is the power of high art and drama. The power of high art and drama is to capture our consciences and to shed light into our innermost thoughts and feelings so that we have a way to make adjustments and to change uh, the way that we live. That is the purpose. And the worship for the ancient people of Israel at the temple was truly high art and drama. They performed a true drama of God descending to be and live with his people and the people ascending, rising up to meet their God, giving their sacrifices, giving their thanksgiving, offering all that they had to the Lord, understanding that they had to cleanse themselves and wash themselves of their sin so that they could receive the grace of the power of God to restore them to the lives of righteousness and virtue that he had always desired. They lost track of that drama. And they began to think that the uh, worship in the temple was a good in and of itself. They began to think that as long as we put on this drama, as long as we make our thanksgivings and offerings, as long as we bring the bulls and goats, then the effect on me doesn't have to be anything. In other words, they started to think that they were buying God's favor by giving offerings. And this is when the Lord sends the prophet Amos, a most unlikely prophet, to preach to the people. See, in that time, prophets were often in a guild. There would be uh, perhaps hundreds of them in a guild, and they would travel and live together. They would worship together at the temple, and they were given this task of reminding the people about uh, the commandments of God. There were some who were um, among the priestly class, some like um, Isaiah, who were even related to the king, and so they were usually in this kind of inner circle of educated uh, religious elite. Amos, however, comes from totally outside of that world. He's a shepherd. He's a dresser of sycamore trees. He's a man of the uh, world, of the earth. He's a, a laborer. And he comes in and he says, you've lost the point of our worship to God. We are not buying God with the things that already belong to him. These are his goats. These are his oxen. The whole world belongs to him. Your lives belong to him. There's nothing that you can offer to him that isn't already his. The point is for a transformation of the conscience. And so Amos uh, says famously in the Lord through him, I despise your feasts and your solemn assemblies. But he desires that justice roll down like waters and righteousness 
like an ever-flowing stream. So the point of this high drama was for the conscience to be pricked, for the people to realize in sadness and mourning and in meekness that they had to offer themselves their hearts before the Lord and that it was he who would restore them to his grace and mercy. And through his grace, that is his power and his mercy, he would allow them to live these lives of righteousness and justice. This is the high art and drama of the marriage because the people of God are being married to God. They are um, meeting together at this place, at the tabernacle, and there is a marriage that is taking place, and that is a, a beautiful um, way in which Jesus shows this relationship uh, to God who is the groom in this parable that he tells in Matthew's gospel. This is right before he teaches about the second coming, right before he uh, teaches about um, the tribulation, and he's talking here about being ready for the marriage, the marriage between God and his people. And he uses the illustration of the virgins who would go with the bride to the groom. See, the, the ancient Israel marriage rite was a way through drama to teach the people what marriage was. It wasn't enough just to talk about it. It wasn't enough to write about it. The contract and the vows were not enough. They had to act out uh, this drama. And the virgins would have with them the lamp, which is the symbol of the work of the housewife in the home. In the ancient world, the lamp that she maintained provided light for the whole household. And these were often handheld lamps. They would be small ceramic pottery lamps that could be held in the palm of the hand, a kind of an oval shape that she could carry with her. There would be a small hole at the top wherein she would put the oil, that is uh, the righteousness of God. And then there is another hole at the end wherein a flaxen wick came out. And that flaxen wick would become um, uh, warped, it would become frayed. And the more frayed it became, the more smoke would be produced by the oil. And so she would have to wake up in the middle of the night because this lamp would begin to smoke and it would fill the house with smoke and she would have to trim that wick. She would have to cut away that detritus, that, that extra bit, so that the lamp could burn with this pure light for the house. And this becomes a symbol not only of the virtue of the wife, but the virtue of um, those believers that understand that the grace, the oil, comes from the Lord and that we have to trim our wicks, we have to trim our lives, we have to repent. We have to realize the extra bits in our lives. We have to realize those things that have been added through daily use that become frayed, and we have to trim those things away. We have to uh, refocus on our lives, and we have to burn with this pure, this pure light of righteousness that the Lord talked about back in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, right? To let your light shine before the world, this righteousness of this oil. So he tells this story about these virgins holding these lamps, they would uh, gather at the bride's home. The bride would, um, with the virgins, um, wash. She would um, put on um, her best clothes. They would prepare her for marriage, and they would be waiting with her in the home until word was given that the groom was ready. The ceremony would take place at the groom's home, and often uh, the groom was inviting her into the family home. So his father often would have um, had a, a room uh, that would be built onto the house, these houses would grow over generations. And so another little room or anteroom would be added on, and this is where the new uh, bride and groom would live. 
And so the room would be prepared, it would be furnished, and they would have food and a feast. And when everything was ready for the feast and everything was ready for the room, uh, then the, the bride would be sent for. And there would be a procession, right, of these virgins with the bride. And they would process through the town holding their lamps. And they would make their way uh, to the groom's home. And there they would sing songs and they would have banqueting and they would have prayers and all the things um, to introduce the bride and the groom together. And if it's a time at this time of year, as you know, it gets dark so quickly. And sometimes when you're waiting the way that these virgins would be waiting, it gets very dark. And if you're not prepared, it's easy to be found in the dark. And that you realize in the parable that both the wise and the foolish fall asleep. All of us fall asleep in the Lord. All of us are going to die. There's none of us that are not going to face death. So we all need to be prepared for this falling asleep. We all need to be prepared for this um, long waiting. And indeed, we have waited a long time for the coming of the Lord. We've been waiting a long time for him. And it's easy for us to get distracted or to get weary or to get tired and to, to lose track, to lose our focus. The virgins who were wise brought extra oil. That is, they brought uh, the virtue that they got from the Lord. And the others were looking to each other. We cannot get virtue from one another. We cannot get grace from one another. Grace is only found through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are coming here because our consciences have been pricked. We've realized that we have not done what we're supposed to do. We have to repent, and we come before the altar of the Lord to receive his body and blood and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we have the fuel in our lamps. We have the grace that we need to burn bright in righteousness through today and the following week. We know that we need the Lord's strength to do that. And so this is the merchant. This is the seller of oil. This is the place where we come to get that extra oil for our lamps. We can't go to one another. There's no other place to turn but from the seller of oil, from him who has provided that life and virtue, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the only place in which we can come. And if we come and we fill our lamps, we'll be ready Whenever he comes, we will be ready with repentance to have our wicks trimmed and ready to shine that bright light so that we can meet him when he returns. This is the hope that St. Paul talks about in this first letter to the Thessalonians. He says we have to have hope. Faith, hope, and love are the three Christian virtues, and we can't have one without the other. We have to have them all together because just with faith and love alone, we may lose that focus and that hope that is that looking for, that focused desire for the Lord. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get overburdened with the cares of our life, with our sufferings and our temptations and the, the anger and the resentment that comes with being in the world. And it's so easy to share that with one another. It's so easy to, to, to just lay on and pile the sufferings and the burdens of our day. And it's not that we shouldn't be offering these things. It's not that we shouldn't be sharing them. It's not that we need to pretend that the world is some perfect place or that we're perfect people. By no means, we have to share our sufferings. We have to share our temptations with one another. And then we remind one another of the hope of Christ who is to come. We remind one another what the ending of the play is, that he is coming, that he is um, coming with resounding joy and that we're going to meet him. It's not us going someplace else, as you see in St. Paul's letter. It's Christ returning. He says he will come again, and he will come with those saints who have already fallen asleep with him. He will come with them, and we will be joined with them all together. We'll be joined with all those saints who have come before, and we will dwell with the Lord 
forever and forevermore. And this is what we're looking for. This is what we're focusing on. This is where our hope is fixed. And if we lose sight of that hope, it's so easy to fall into despair. It's so easy to fall into hopelessness. And the world preaches it. The world shares it and encourages us to fall into nihilism and to desperate violence. But this is not the Christian message of hope, wherein we wait for God to return. We wait for Christ to come again. And we wait with a true longing and focus upon him. Play worked. Hamlet looks and watches Claudius as the players present the drama of the king who kills his brother and takes his brother's wife. And he sees Claudius be overcome with his conscience. Claudius says, my offense is rank and stinks to heaven. And then realizes that he's going to have to repent and he says, can one be pardoned while keeping the offense? Can he keep the throne and his brother's wife and receive pardon? We know he can't. We know that he's going to have to give up what he took through crime. But that is the call of repentance. That is the trimming of the lamp. And it's so easy for us to find ourselves deep in our sins and to look around and say, my house is smoky and I can't see the light and it's dark and I don't know where to turn. And we could just say doom and gloom and we're in our sorrows rather than coming together as we are here today and saying, open a window, trim the lamp, make it bright, fill it with oil, repent, receive the grace of God, look for his hope in the resurrection. There is hope to come. We don't need to be in our sins. We can turn away from them. We can let them go. We can let go of those things that we've been holding on to to comfort us that we find have brought smoke and dirt and disease into our homes. We can allow light and life. We can have righteousness flowing like a stream when we turn to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and receive his Holy Spirit, which he offers us today in his sacrament. May our lamps be lit, and may we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we are focused upon him in all hope <laughs> and faith and love. Amen. Amen. Amen.